On this holy night, not all is calm, not all is bright in Ukraine. The intense fighting continues. The Ukrainians who are uh, holding the line on the Eastern Front where I was, have had to endure um, great hardship. Russian President Vladimir Putin saying Russia is ready for talks to end the war in Ukraine. Hi, I'm Mark Fisher. Hi, I'm Mike Banker, and you're entering a world, world gone, gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and here we are again, shining the light into the darkness to prove we still live in a world gone good. If you're picking up what we've been putting down here, then by all means, please, yes, share us with your friends. Subscribe to us wherever you are listening now, and best of all, leave us a rating and a short review. Who, who will be the first good person to review us in 2023? Will it be you? Will you be the good reviewing first person of 2023 every share subscription rating and review helps spread the good and for that we say as always thank you so did you hear what went down last episode which part you ask well the part where we um had our first ever commercial and it wasn't even an actual commercial it was me just plugging my new play happy birthday mckenna opening march 3rd at the hudson backstage in los angeles how about the part where i said you can get all the info and all the tickets uh as well at hbmtheplay.com what about when i repeated that hbm stands for happy birthday mckenna and then i said it again like this i went hbm happy birthday mckenna hbmtheplay.com remember when i said all that in our last episode Well, if you do, well, thank you very much for letting me go over it again for the others who were not paying attention. And if you don't remember that at all, well, you need to go back and listen to that part, at least of the episode, if not the whole thing, or just go to hbmtheplay.com and see it's all there. Simple. Thank God we didn't have to sit through another commercial about it, right? Okay, now we shift (laughs) to a little more serious of a tone here. One year ago, this February 24th, the lives of everyone in Ukraine changed. And while I'd like to have ended that last sentence with a for the better, we all know by now I simply cannot. It's been a dark time for Ukraine and Ukrainians. But as we know from this show of ours, there's always light. You may have to look for it. You may have to shine it yourself, but it's there and it leads to the good. Speaking of shining the light, that's what we're doing today. Mark Fisher and Mike Banker are two of the good forces behind Human Unity, a global mobilization in support of Ukraine and for Ukraine. They are right now filming Human Unity, a documentary exploring the inspiring and impactful stories of ordinary people from all over the world and all walks of life doing extraordinary things to support Ukraine in their David versus Goliath stand against Russia. Now, I get this question a lot. Where do you find these guests? Well, I luck out a lot and I have a lot of, saying a lot, a lot, a lot of good friends making, here we go again, a lot of good things happen. (laughs) And what happened here is my good friend Tisha messaged me and she said, I have the perfect people for your podcast. My brother-in-law is working on a documentary about Ukraine. So I want to say thank you to Tisha for setting this good one in motion.
the inception of the project came about, um, I have a good friend. His name is Patrick Sweeney. We were hanging out in Chamonix this past winter, and then we we're actually both in LA at a at a film festival where I had a film showing at it, and he had sort of organized the festival. And just before then, I had you know participated with a bunch of National Geographic photographers. We had a Vital Impacts print sale. We had raised eight hundred thousand dollars. And I think like so many people, when when, uh, this latest wave of war broke out in Ukraine on February 24th, you know, we're there scratching our heads being like, well, this is not just a travesty, but but what can we do? Um, You know, what else? And it was awesome to be part of this print sale that raised a bunch of money for the relief effort. But my friend Patrick and I were talking about, you know, what else? you know, what else is there? How can we be involved? And we had been talking in LA and then I went from LA basically straight to Alaska. And then uh, there he, you know, he reached out. He's like, Hey, I've got, you know, like he's connected through YPO, a young president's organization. And so he's connected with a bunch of CEOs and started talking with CEOs that had literally just dropped everything uh, to do something. And the difference being, instead of just writing a check, um, and mailing a check to the Red Cross or UNICEF or whoever, um, they were actually driving to the border. They were delivering supplies. They were doing these really remarkable things uh, that really stood out. And so basically Patrick was like, hey, do you want to produce this uh, with me? And, and I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And that's where the the co-director and co-producer came in with Patrick and myself. There are so many situations like this around the world. What was it about Ukraine that sparked something in you to get involved? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a question we've been asking uh, everyone we talk to uh, about what the motivation, like why was this different? And the answers are all pretty simple. Um, It's you know, like we've talked to people in, in Poland and France and the Czech Republic. And it's like when it's on your doorstep, you can't just sit there when your neighbor, you know, when someone robs your neighbor's house, you can't just sit there and and do nothing. And I think the magnitude and the unjustness of the invasion and the consequences and severity for if the invasion went horribly wrong, in other words, if Russia were to be successful in, in overtaking Ukraine, the, the consequences for the world are pretty dire. And so I think the, the world recognized the magnitude of the situation and the world recognized the, injust, the unjustness of the situation and, and people were just compelled to act. Mike, how were you brought into this project? So I'm, I'm on the board of an outdoor survival school and I was on a retreat on the campus and one of the instructors showed up and she'd just gotten back from Ukraine um, that day before and had gone over there with her sister. Her babushka was Ukrainian and they went and provided volunteer uh, medical training for about six weeks. And she walked in and saw her and she had this glazed look in her eyes. And then two days later, uh, I get a random phone call from, from Mark and Mark and I have known each other since first week of freshman year in college and, and have worked on a couple of other things together and said, Hey, I'm going to do this film on Ukraine. Do you want to, do you want to come work on it with me? And, um, I was 
thought about it and the, the, the movement, the topic and everything and, and said, yeah, let's do it. I'm in. Now, let's also clarify, because you also have a brother named Mark. Yes, I do. And he has a wife named Tisha. Indeed. And ju- just so everyone knows this, and Mike, you and I have never met, but just so you know this, Tisha and I are literally the same person, except different body parts, and I have a shaved head. <laughs> We're literally the same person. So if you love Tisha, you would love me. If you can't stand Tisha, you and I are not going to get along. Uh, Tisha, Tisha's fantastic. That's what I wanted yeah. to hear. Now, so... <laughs> So obviously, look, you have the ability to tell a story. And we talk about this on here all the time is does everyone have a story? That's a question that comes up on this show a lot. Do you believe that everyone has a story? So here you are going into the middle of a war zone. How do you start going in there and finding the people who want to tell their story? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question. I mean, we literally so I mean, like I said, you know, so like we got the the broad level how this thing started. Patrick had, had, had interviewed a couple people over Zoom. Um, uh, another woman, Alla, who's involved in the project, she had interviewed a couple people. So basically we had some like YPO connections scattered uh, throughout Europe, starting Geneva, Prague, Warsaw. And, and honestly, we just had threads of people, mostly CEOs that, that were doing stuff. And so we just were like, well, let's just go connect with these people and um, – and, and start talking with them. And, you know, the whole project, like so many docs are passion projects, self-funded shoestring operations. And, but we all knew that there was something deeper, um, not just with Ukraine, but we, we all felt the importance and urgency to, to tell these stories. And, and so we just showed up in, in Geneva, went to Chamonix where Patrick is based and, and honestly connected with one of the more compelling stories that we found in terms of world gone good. I mean, think about world gone good. Like we ended up connecting with this amazing refugee story in Chamonix of hockey players that um, came from Eastern Ukraine, were picked up by Chamonix hockey coaches, driven to Chamonix in March. Youth hockey players. Yeah, youth hockey players. And, and literally just assimilated into – French society in Chamonix, which is different than what most people know French society is. It's an amazing place. And they join this youth hockey team, go on to win the the French National Youth Hockey League Championship that year. At the end of the season, we have a, a team on the 17th, qualify for the final of the French Championships. They are not refugees on ice. They're part of a team. So there's no refugee in our sports. There's only players. And it was just this super touching story where, you know, it's like, yeah, people just wanted to help. And they just literally drove to the border, picked up 50 Ukrainians, mostly mothers and their children, and um, and then fostered them and supported them and um, helping them assimilate uh, into French life. And so we started there. Uh, Patrick had actually bought this old beat up climbing van, literally this 20 year old rusted out Ford transit. That was, you know, just a dirt bag climbing van with a bed in the back. And we drove this thing overnight from Chamonix to Prague, uh, ended up in Prague after filming with, with this Ukrainian, um, business leader. And at the time we didn't have any true, 
um, intention to go into Ukraine on that trip. You know, none of us really knew what it was really like in terms of on the ground. It's a war zone, what you hear from the outside. You know, it's still pretty early uh, in the invasion. And uh, and literally, we just finished filming. We're at a coffee shop in Prague. Uh, meet these two women at a coffee shop. And lo and behold, they're they're Ukrainian. And it was like, oh, my gosh, we're so sorry. You know, how are you doing? And and um, how's it going? They're like, we're fine. And I'm like, well, and they're like, we're not leaving. And it was this stark um, realization that they're like, we're not leaving. Like, no, this is our country and we're, we're staying and, and we're, we're, we're here. We're Ukrainian. And, and we're, and we're like, well, what's it like? And they're like, it's fine. They're like, you should go. And so almost on spur of the moment, changed their plans, changed our plans and, uh, and just drove into Ukraine with zero plan other than these, other than knowing these two, uh, having the contact information for these two Ukrainian women that lived in Lviv, that was it. And we just went into country and started piecing it together on the ground. When we went over to Europe, like we, we had some broad strokes and a few interviews lined up, but we kind of felt like, well, we, things will come together once we get on the ground. And in fact, they did, uh, especially in Ukraine. Uh, once we were in Ukraine, we started, we got hooked up with the Ukrainian journalists and she started making calls for us and, she found us uh, a refugee camp from... But they were from Mariupol. Mariupol. Yeah. And so, yeah, just, I mean, the whole film has been a lot of weird moments where things just have come together. What is the culture like? I mean, what is that like to meet somebody in one country who's from another country who tells you, yeah, just go on in when it's the middle of a war going on? It was pretty inspiring. Um, it was pretty moving. and And one of these women actually showed me a photo of her with a gun on her lap. And this is like, you know, she's like 25. She, you know, she works as a hairstylist and, and, you know, she's, there she is at her apartment in, in Lviv. And she's like, I'm not leaving. I, you know, like I, I got a gun <laughs> and, and it was really like, Oh, I, uh, this is something, something else is, is happening here. You were making a documentary. What is the goal of the documentary? The goal is to inspire people about the power of what can happen when humans unite around a common cause. And that's truly the message, um, one of the most powerful messages of what we've been experiencing and what, uh, you know, we hope this film will, will do for, um, you know, citizens of the world, for, for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think when the when the war started, uh, all of us independently were noticing just how much more attention it was getting, and and how much it just you heard all these stories of people rallying to help. Um, and I think the film ultimately kind of became our our way of contributing to that, and and we wanted to make it about the volunteers. I mean, there are a number. Of, I think there are several Ukraine documentaries being made, but. Which I haven't heard of any others that are focused specifically on the volunteers. And that's, it's people from all over the world, but also there's a ton of people in Ukraine that are Ukrainians that are volunteering. And it's just this massive uh, mobilization of people all working together and making amazing things happen. One of the taglines is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Uh, I just heard a story two days ago where, you know, right now in Kiev, there's a woman that lives on the 20 sixth floor of a building to walk up with a broken leg where I mean I think it probably has an elevator but with the power outages and whatever and so all the neighbors all the residents of this 
of this, you know, 30 story apartment complex set up rest areas inside their apartment for this woman with a broken leg so that every two floors she can take a break inside someone's apartment as she's walking up and down the stairs with a broken leg. And it's just story after story like this where people are just that there's no division in the country. There's just connection and cohesion. And it's really, it's really powerful. It's really inspiring. Yeah. And I think and all of us going to every pretty on our crew going into Ukraine has been a life changing experience. Like we, we didn't know what to expect. And when this, after Ukraine wins, everyone should go to Ukraine. Lviv is one of the most beautiful cities in Europe. Um, holds its own, but like we, we'd be in the streets with our cameras and people, Ukrainians would just come up to us and ask us who we were in front of our Americans. It's just be so grateful that we we're even there and that thankful that the, you know, the world was helping them and um, that it was just very inspiring to experience that. Well, and, and thankful that we were capturing their stories mm-hmm. and, and helping share real stories because the misinformation and the propaganda is obviously a big part of, of the backdrop, at least from the Russia side, you know? So we went through something with COVID, right? And this is a country that perhaps some people think we handled COVID right. I think quite personally, I'll be the one to say it, over a million people dying is not exactly handling it right. But you talked about something which is division and divisiveness. How did your perspective change as Americans? Did it change going in and seeing people having to get back to the basics? And come together. It's something that I've never experienced. Um, I don't think it matters that I'm an American. I mean, I I live my life traveling the world for work, and I've never experienced uh, a human spirit and connection like I did amongst the people of Ukraine. Yeah, it was it was um, it's humbling, but also inspiring that there it can work differently than what we experience currently here in the U.S., for instance. When you start a documentary, uh, sometimes there's a story, right? You have a life story, right? So we know how this story, this, you know, it's a court case, so I know how it's going to end, or perhaps the court decision hasn't been made. But you get what I'm saying. There's an A and the B. There's a, you know, there's a first act, second act, third act. We know where we're going. When you went into this, did you have a plan? Did the plan change? What was the story? And then what did the story become? That's a lot of questions there. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do it all the time. I ask way too many fucking questions. Go ahead. No, I think honestly, when, and I don't think I'm alone in this thought. When, when I, um, when, when, you know, Russia first invaded on February 24th, I, I you know, I sat there thinking that there's no way in hell that Ukraine is going to withstand a country like Russia or, or have a chance of winning. And even on this first trip going into the first trip, I was still like, there is no way like they like, like how could uh, Ukraine actually have a chance at winning this war? And, and by the end of that first trip, I was completely uh, of the opposite opinion that I'm like, wow, like they actually are going to win this. And, and there's a second thing that's happened that really changed. And so the answer to your first question is, is no going into it. 
I didn't have a clear vision of how the story was going to end, but now I do. And the difference is, so we came back on the first trip and put together a trailer, started trying to get the word out. Um, and, and in the process, I got connected with Nicole Wallace from MSNBC. And, and Nicole is a total badass. And she connected me with this guy named Igor in, in Kiev. And Igor was President Zelensky's um, advisor and responsible for Ukraine-U.S. relations under the Trump administration. He's a total baller. He was the he was the point person for the Trump Ukraine scandal. Yeah, fantastic. So all of a sudden, I'm talking I'm talking with Igor, and Igor helped like line us up for our second trip, which was in September. Lined us up with amazing people like Vitaly Klitschko and all these heavy hitters. And Igor, um, I spent a lot of time with Igor at this point, and he's an amazing human and super bright. And his whole Shtick, and he's actually writing a book on Ukraine and holacracy. And holacracy is basically the theory and the of of when 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 people independently rally around a problem to come to a solution that they're way more successful. In other words, it's different than like a top down management approach where where you're told to do something, you have a team, and it's this very hierarchical structure. He his mindset, and he and I believe him, is that Ukraine is truly a holocratic society, meaning that independently, millions of Ukrainians are just mobilizing within their own groups of their own volition and that they are truly solving problems in creative, out-of-the-box ways that nobody, that no other country would do other than Ukraine. And we're seeing it on the ground. We're seeing it with like, you know, 3D. But can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Can I ask a, wait, I have to ask a question on that. So was that something that was already happening or was it just, did, how did that come about? Was that just, is that a part of their um, culture? Is that a part of their community or did that come about when they were put in this situation? Both, both. So that Ukraine has always been, in his opinion, and, and like I said, I agree, a holocratic society that people have always self-mobilized, self-organized, been independent, been free thinking. You know, Ukraine is home to like chip manufacturing and amazing computer scientists and programmers. And they're very bright um, and they're very progressive. I mean, they're the only country in the world or the first country in the world to have a fully digital uh, system on their phone that has passport, ID, all this stuff. So they're like, you know, like so they're, their thought leaders, they're creative, they're very technologically savvy. And, but yes, the war in Ukraine has amplified this effectiveness and this holocratic society where they are just organized. I mean, they crowdfunded, they crowdsource funded for Byraktor drones and the Serhi Pertula Foundation raised like $15 million in three days. And they were looking for five, I think. And the, the the country rallied together and blew them out of it. They were like, "Hey, let's t- let's set a really audacious goal and let's try to raise five million dollars in a week." And Ukrainians contributed enough to give them twelve million dollars in three days. They stopped the campaign and were like, "Wow, we are blown away." Um, but like on on their culture, like I'm definitely not a Ukraine historical expert, but I'm I'm learning more and 
Ukraine's really kind of been at the crossroads of a lot of war and battles and empires and have that's shaped them. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a melting pot in some ways, but it's also, they've, they've become very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they're just, they're gritty. They, they know how to get things done themselves. They don't want to rely on others because they've often had to do that either as rebellion against some other empire or just to get by to stay underneath the radar. And I think that that's my sense from talking to Ukrainians, partly at least how it came about. You know, the story ends with Ukraine winning, U- Ukraine receiving reparations for all the damage. Um, you know, lots of people talk about a new Marshall Plan. Um, and I think Ukraine is truly poised to be not just a leader for Western Europe, but for honestly the whole world. Um, I think that that's how cutting edge they are. And I think the the hope, and I think that's part of this film, is that in in within great darkness comes comes brightness, comes hope, and and sometimes you have to be pushed to the very limit to to see the beauty emerge, and and the possibilities that are going to come from Ukraine in terms of being a global energy leader, between a technology leader, you know, when the rebuilding happens, and Ukraine is is enabled and, and respected as, as a true sovereign independent nation. It's yeah, it's, I think they're going to be a leader. So I think that's the, that's the fairy tale ending. I mean, yeah, they're going to, they're going to have to rebuild so much and you know, no one asked to have the, the slate clean, but it is now. And there are cities that are can very much wiped off the map and you can rebuild them the way we have technology today. So for like climate change, for example, you could rebuild a city with, you know, green buildings and green electricity and green mobility and make it the city of the future because you're starting, you have the ability to start from scratch. So that's, that's sort of the silver lining of having your country obliterated, unfortunately. But it, it, I, that they, I think there's a, there can be a very positive fairy tale ending that Ukraine becomes a beacon for the world and shows what you can do with all the new technologies and AI and everything else. So, Mike, let me ask you this. You're the writer of the project, or one of the writers of the project, correct? Yes. So, as a writer of a documentary, how does that work? I think that's a question a lot of people have. If it's a documentary, I mean, I, I'm a writer myself. I, I think I have the answer, but you tell everybody. How does that work when you're in the writing process of creating the story for this? I, I think it's happening on two ends. You know, while, while you're in production, um, you're you're thinking about what is the story here and writing the questions uh, that need to be asked to, to pursue that story. And then, you know, somebody says something that leads you down another track and you start to see all these threads coming together. And we have a ton of threads. And now what's, what's going to be most interesting is we, we, we have enough stuff to make a whole series, but stuff's going to have to be left on the cutting room floor. And so then once you, that, taking all of that mass uh, content and, and narrowing it down to what the, the key stories that are going to put forward the message and the, and the information and inspiration that you're looking for. And that's, that's kind of where the, the second stage of writing comes in. I think with a documentary like this too, it's a, it's a mixture of, of, of crafting the story from a, a written perspective while at the same time allowing the story to, fuel the writing Mm -hmm. because it's 
it's not like it's a balance. Like we're not creating a story that doesn't exist. We're weaving the story together in a way that, that delivers the message we're trying to tell the story we're trying to tell. And that's sometimes the best writing because when I'm writing and a lot of writers write, you let the characters tell you the story. And sometimes you've plotted it out, but the characters start flowing right through you and they take you in another direction. You have to go with it. So on that note, how will you know when you're done, when you have what you need? Is there going to be, when do you know that this is it? We got it. We have, we have what we need. It's funny they should ask that because we, we thought we were there at the end of October. Uh, and then some, some other things have emerged in the last like month. Uh, and so we, Patrick's actually going back into Ukraine this week and we're going to be sending another crew back in early January to, to pursue some other stories that kind of came along that we want to build into it. So we're getting close, but yeah, it's always tricky because something comes along and you, you like, wow, that's really great. Do we want to use that too? Um, that's we, we had to struggle with that a little bit on this latest development, but we decided, yeah, this it's worth it to get this in the film. Well, and, and it's a good question because it, it's never truly done. Yeah. Like this story will keep telling itself. And I think honestly, that's one of the, the, outcomes of working on this film is that this this film will will this film will finish at some point we'll release it part of that is because the sooner we get the story out the better um but part of it is that there's other stories to tell and this won't be the last story we tell about ukraine or some epic story or unique people or truly groundbreaking movement that's happening there. So this is what, you know, whether it's a series or a feature doc or the only truth is that this is sort of just the beginning of, of how we're being moved in our involvement with Ukraine and Ukrainians. My audience needs to know there was a Kickstarter that went with this. What is happening now for an audience like mine to help you keep going? Talk about the Kickstarter and then tell us now how they can keep going and helping you get this done. Thanks for asking that question, Steve. It's a million. <laughs> no, it's um, <laughs> no, it's 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 even though there's a shoestring budget, uh, it's still expensive. Um, and so, yeah, we we launched, we had a success, successful Kickstarter campaign. We still need a lot of money. The Kickstarter wasn't to raise all the money; it was to kind of fund this phase of production, and just to, we needed some seed money to keep it going while we pursue other sources, which we are continuing to do right now. Um, yeah, so there's two main ways. I mean, go to our website. Um, there is a humanunityfilm.com webpage. Uh, right on that webpage, you can click the donate button. That goes right to us uh, and directly benefits continued production in the field, post-production, all elements. You can also reach out. Uh, we're looking for executive producers to get behind this film. And there's all kinds of opportunities to help really amplify both funding and the reach. And then the plan is that we'll be premiering it in Kiev um, in early June. Yeah. And if anybody's listening that, that uh, wants to buy this for a streaming service, that would be probably helpful too. Um, <laughs> we, we should get our list out of all the things we need people to buy, but keep going. Yes. yes. <laughs> but, but what's something that is unique about this is uh, um, so I mean, we, 
we're we're not trying to make a profit on this. We are just trying to cover our production costs, and then the plan is everything above that will be donated back to the various organizations that we've been working with and interviewing um, to help them and help them continue to do the great work they've been doing, which is why we told the story in the first place. So we close our shows with two questions, gentlemen. We're going to start with you, Mark, uh, which means, Mike, you get to hear the question. You get to think about it. So, Mark, going back to anything we've already talked about or anything you want to say, the question is this. Who inspires you? What I'm inspired most by is the collective response of humans towards the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and inspired by their actions and continued actions in in the face of great uh, suffering and loss to continue moving forward. Mike, who inspires you? Yeah, um, I would I'd echo that somewhat and kind of add to it and is or get a little more specific, like people going above and beyond when they don't need to. I mean, and we live in such a technology world right now. We're all staring at screens all the time. And, you know, what's been so inspiring about this, making this film is all these people, random people that were with from, you know, every profession from CEO down to bus drivers going and doing whatever they can. And, and it's even it goes beyond that. Like we were at a warehouse in Poland where people from all over the world are just, they can't come and volunteer, but they're just packing up boxes and, and sending those materials to, to donate. And so it's just like people going out of their way when they don't have to. Um, and you add all that up and it just makes such a bigger power, more powerful whole and impact. And take action. That's the thing. It's like we talk about this on the show. Yeah. Our whole goal with, with this film is we, we want to inspire I mean, Ukraine, this, this, this isn't going to end tomorrow. Ukraine still needs help and they're not getting as much attention anymore. And so we, we really want to inspire more people to, to continue helping Ukraine just like they have been so far um, to, keep, to keep the momentum going and, and uh, help them win and, and become this great place that everyone go visit. And the final question we end every show with, again, goes back to anything you want to say we've already talked about or anything you want to say. It's actually not a question. Statement to finish, starting with you, Mike. Tell me something good. So we had we had another crew that went in. So we went in. Uh, we were back. Our second trip in Ukraine was the end of September, and we were there for two weeks. And came back. And we sent another crew in, who went a little closer to the front lines. We lined them up with the Ukrainian film crew. It was two American, two American women that had been over previously uh, doing medical volunteering. And, and they uh, they ended up going to visit an animal shelter outside of Kiev, and uh, there was there was a bunch of lions there that had been rescued. So it's wildlife and pets. And there was an injured lion that uh, the photo got taken, and somehow the photo line went viral around the world. And that then connected with some uh, veterinarian in the U.S. that helped to get these 16 lions evacuated out of uh, out of out of Ukraine to go live in a sanctuary. And it's just kind of the power of collective and information flow and everything. Um, you know, these one day this organization didn't was barely getting by to, feed, you know, have the money to feed these lions. The next day they're, they're, the lions are getting a brand new life somewhere else outside of uh, where they'd been. They'd been in the east, I think, in the, in the war areas. So that was that was really cool and really good. Mark, you're going to close the show and tell me something good. 
One of the best stories I heard about all the different efforts that people were undergoing to fight against this invasion was uh, was about this group of underground computer hackers, not you know maliciously stealing money or anything like that. They were literally executing uh, smear campaigns against multinational corporations still operating within inside Russia as a way to pressure them. Uh, to stop supporting the regime. And so I just thought it was a really cool, creative, out-of-the-box way to, to, to do something good in an out-of-the-box solution. I thought of another one. This is, actually, this is a way that anyone can get involved in this. Um, on social media, on Twitter is where it started. There's a, there's a movement called NAFO, National, North Atlantic Fellas Organization. And it's to fight against Russian disinformation. And I think there are over 100,000 people now that have joined. At one time, uh, Representative Kinzinger had a, his, his personal uh, Twitter profile was this NAFO. It's a, it's a weird dog. But basically, they make memes, joke memes to fight off Russian information. And I, I've just been fascinated by the movement. And it's, it's become like a model of how you can fight disinformation and do it from uh, you know, the ground up. Thank you, Mark and Mike, for sharing your good. Go now, right now, to the Human Unity website. Get more info and give them some support. Next time on World Gone Good. When you go through a big change, there's this whole process of of giving birth to yourself and to the life that you want and the relationships that you want and just like giving birth to that. And there's a lot of like labor pain (laughs) around that. And then there's a lot of healing and recovery on the other side of that birth. One of my favorite humans and heroes brings her good to an all new episode. Kavitha Rajagopalan married the kid I grew up next door to, literally right next door, my friend Matt. That's who she married. They had two beautiful children and then received the news no parent ever wants to hear one of their children was sick. And the chances of him beating the odds were next to impossible. But here's the good news. He did. He beat the odds. Kavi shares her family's one in a million good story and what a story it is. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, be good.